Welcome to another live stream slash episode of Han Talks First. This is a Star Wars show where we talk about Star Wars, believe it or not. Isn't that crazy? What do you guys think of the camera? I put up my DSLR instead of the crappy little built-in camera on my computer. So let me know if it looks good or if you can even see me. Um, and let me know if you can hear me because I have a new setup here. Zach Wolfinger. What's up? What's up, man? How's it going? So glad you can make it. Is the mic working okay? Is the camera looking fine? You let me know so I can continue on and keep going here. So yeah, as you can see from this banner below, this Star Wars show has two main episodes a week, every Monday, every Wednesday, where we talk about everything that happens in the world of Star Wars. You can follow us at the links below at Han Talks First. We have a Patreon page where you can support this channel if you, if you care to do so. We have an Instagram, a Twitter. And then for the audio listeners, this is available on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher, Overcast, Google Podcasts, anywhere you want to listen to the podcasts that you prefer. We are there as well. So yeah, uh, here on the YouTube channel, we do about five videos a week. And in addition to that, we upload the two main topic episodes as well. Today, of course, given by the title of this live stream, we're going to be mostly talking about the Mandalorian behind the scenes from Disney's new docu-series called Disney Gallery. And this week's episode was one hour long, which was fantastic. I was expecting maybe a 30-minute documentary about the first episode or something like that, but they gave us a lot. They gave us a documentary about all eight episodes of season two. And we're going to talk about some of the things they addressed there, but also review season two at the same time. And also got some other news that we're going to talk about as well. But um, before I, before I get into the news, I want to suggest to everyone to please like this video. Liking live streams helps out so much. You have no idea. It grabs the attention of other people so it can show up on their YouTube homepages as well. So if you're here, please like. Please subscribe if you haven't. If you haven't subscribed, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. You should be subscribed. We do great videos all the time. Today, actually, I uploaded my reaction to Star Wars Theories Vader Episode 2 fan film, which was fantastic, in my opinion. I loved it. It was basically a CGI cinematic about... Uh, his Vader idea, and this one introduced Mace Windu back into the picture. So if you haven't seen it, check it out, or just go look at my reaction. And I also present my Galaxy's Edge version of Mace Windu's lightsaber as well. And it was fun to do, and I'll be doing more reactions in the future. Merc is here. Hey! How's it going, Merc? It's good to see you. Thanks for commenting on all this stuff. It means a lot. So let's go ahead and jump into the news. I know not a lot of people have joined us yet, but I want to get started so that you can go listen to this later if you have to. So a bunch of random news has been coming out recently about Star Wars, and some of it is very exciting. So let's start with... Oh, sorry, I had to take a drink of my coffee. So the first bit of news here I want to say which is also kind of related to my reaction video that I did, is about Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson himself. So it was recently his birthday, and a lot of people, uh, blue checkmark people, have been commenting, like, happy birthday, you know. But one thing that struck me as really interesting was Mark Hamill. He tweeted about Samuel L. Jackson's birthday, and he said, hey, just posting a bunch of pictures of, of Sam for no particular reason except that he's awesome. And he showed a bunch of him as a Jedi, bunch of pictures of him. And I was like, oh, that's very sweet. But knowing Mark Hamill, this could mean something more. <laughs> and sure enough, it may have, because in addition to Mark Hamill talking about it, one other Twitter account was the official Star Wars account. They 
sent out a memo saying happy birthday. But they also added this tagline saying, the party's not over. What could this mean? That's, that's a big tease. So a lot of people are speculating that Mace Windu will be making a return to the Star Wars universe. The main theory is that he will appear in Mandalorian Season 3. How do you guys feel about that? I, for one, am in a weird position where I love it and hate it. Mace Windu is my favorite Jedi. I would say aesthetically, he's my favorite Jedi. I really love everything about that character. Sorry, guys, there's some cars going outside, so if there's some background background noise, I apologize. I'm trying to cancel it out as best as I can. Okay, so yeah, it's looking like Mace Windu might come back. Who knows? He very well could. He very well could not. They could just be teasing us for the sake of teasing us. But one thing that's interesting is the rumors that he's going to show up in season three. Now, if Mace Windu came back in season three, what would his role be? You know, he'd be an old man at this point. So it's a little hard to imagine what he would be doing during this time period. I, for one, do believe that Disney is going to bring back in some form the Mace Windu character, whether it is during the events of like the Clone Wars or even after or even animated and live action. I do think they'll bring him back in some form. But again, the, the main talk is that he'll show up in season three of The Mandalorian, which is kind of crazy. We'll talk a little bit more about that possible appearance in a little bit. But in addition to Mandalorian Season 3, there was an article out on Wall Street Journal saying that Mandalorian Season 3 is actually delayed by one whole year and we will not get the flagship series from Star Wars until 2022. It's a long time to wait. I mean, you know, in the meantime, we do have a bunch of new shows coming out and the Book of Boba Fett, which was recently announced. But Mandalorian Season 3, it's in a interesting spot right now considering they ended this series with a hint that there's possibly not going to be as much Grogu in the next season I for one think that the show cannot cannot last without Grogu but at the same time there's some hardcore Star Wars fans that still will watch the show regardless because it is Star Wars but again you, you lose that general audience if you take out Grogu so with Mandalorian being delayed by a whole year due to COVID and you know production schedules and stuff like that, I think it's going to kind of lose people's interest in that one-year interval that we're not going to have this show, especially if there's not a guarantee that Grogu is going to be a part of that. But again, uh, I don't know. This is what the Wall Street Journal is saying. So they're saying it's delayed. And in the same article, they also announced that Dave Filoni is currently writing the Ahsoka TV show. So it looks like the interests and attention at Lucasfilm Disney is focused on the future of Star Wars at this moment and developing new shows. Not so much relying on The Mandalorian anymore. Since they are delayed, the attention is forced to go to these other uh, announced shows that are coming. But this is exciting because Dave Filoni, of course, is going to be running this show. He's an executive producer, but to know that he's writing it himself is also a really great bit of news. As we all know, he did the Clone Wars. He wrote Rebels, and he has written three episodes of The Mandalorian while also executive producing all three of those shows. He's worked with George Lucas directly. He knows Star Wars like the back of his hand. And just, I mean, the fact that we're getting an Ahsoka show in general is (laughs) amazing and life-changing for a lot of people. Because, you know, we never thought we were going to see this character again or in live action at all. And so just to know that that's coming is a really special treat. Another bit of news here is, you know, there's a Star Wars author, novelist, who is currently in um, a lawsuit against Disney. He is most known for writing the first behind-the-scenes book about the original Star Wars. And since then, he has been an employee of Lucasfilm, writing books for them periodically here and there. But once Luke, uh, once Disney purchased Lucasfilm, purchased all the rights to the books and the movies and et cetera, he had stopped receiving royalties. 
And apparently the royalties he did receive were very considerable amounts. And so currently he's in a lawsuit with them. I'll be doing an episode on that later this week, a full standalone episode slash video. So if you want to know more, you can come back here on Wednesday and see more of that. The last bit of news here, which it's not anything new, but it is something I wanted to talk about. And it's that, you know, Disney announced last year that they were doing this new book event series about a time period in Star Wars that had never been talked about called the High Republic. So it is a whole new concept of about events before the Phantom Menace. So before anything Skywalker related, this is what it is. And during that initial announcement, they said they were devising a team together of different authors who were going to write a huge story that all kind of combined into one grand uh, story of Star Wars, while at the same time having individual books about different things. But the through line between all of them would be one big major event. And they said it was going to take place 800 years before the events of The Phantom Menace. As we know now, they have just re-announced that that is not the plan anymore, but instead they're moving it from 800 years before Phantom Menace to 50 years before the Phantom Menace. So that's very interesting. I know a lot of people aren't really interested in this, considering it's only book canon and not really going to be related to the current Star Wars that we are in. But the fact that it's being moved 50 years before Phantom Menace is interesting because it means there's something in those books that is significant to this story. And it sounds like instead of separating themselves from the Skywalker saga, they want to go more into the beginnings of it. And I could be wrong. I I don't know. This could totally be fake news, but this is, this is what's come out of Lucasfilm right now. So the high Republic era is now 50 years before the Phantom Menace. There could be books that go distant, more distant into the background of stuff like that. But currently that's what we're looking at. So it's a little rough. It's dangerous territory because it's so close to that first movie. But we'll see what happens. So that's it for the Star Wars news. Uh, I mean, that's everything that's really come out so far. I think the most interesting is the Mace Windu thing. The Samuel L. Jackson thing. I think it's possible. I think he could show up in Mandalorian or in something else. He is... I mean, he loves... Samuel L. Jackson loves Star Wars. He wants to be a part of it. <laughs> he has said... Uh, multiple counts that you know he he believes that uh, well he wants to come back first of all and second of all he he talks about how you know jedis are known for falling from great heights and surviving and i don't know he he loves this universe he loves franchises i mean look at him in marvel as nick fury he loves being a part of it even if it's just a cameo i do think he will appear in the future so let's go into the main topic shall we what you're all here to see is disney gallery the Mandalorian season two behind the scenes, the documentary about this final or the most recent season of the Mandalorian. So I want to start off talking about this episode by just really looking at how the atmosphere on set of the Mandalorian is so different than any other movie sets that I've seen or been on. It just looks like, Everyone involved is having the time of their lives. Oh, sorry, guys. My camera. There we go. Okay. Camera's going to go out for just a second, but we're back. So, yeah, it looks like everyone there is having the time of their lives. They, you, When you watch this behind-the-scenes documentary, they're all, they all have a smile on. They're all having fun. They're laughing and they're so involved in what they're doing. And it's not just because they're being documented on camera. It really looks like they're genuinely having a very amazing time because they're being a part of Star Wars. They're helping make this show and they get to be a part of it. And that's one thing I really love seeing. And it's so important to point out because this is not what other movie sets tv sets are like at all i work in the film industry i've been on many tv sets i've been on some movie sets before i've been involved in the on-screen and off-screen aspects of it and 
it is not at all like the atmosphere set for the Mandalorian set. When you're on a TV set, let's talk about TV since that's what the show is. On all the TV sets I've been on, it is some of the most stressful, chaotic environments to be in. Everyone is so agitated and very disrespectful, especially to background actors or extras and just to each other. And it's never been fun, per se. The first couple of times is fun, but after a while, it all becomes very redundant. And the people there are either there to do a job, they're there for money, stuff like that. But seeing their relationships on set is it's refreshing to know that these people put in a lot of care and respect to what they're doing. And it's just, I, I want people to know that that's very different than most Hollywood TV sets because it Mandalorian has something right. They're doing something right. They have an environment of employees and staff that are there to make great content and they are doing good work that they enjoy. And I, I just love that part of it. Most, most importantly, or specifically, is the relationship between Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni. You see shots of them together a lot where they're laughing, having a good time, talking about deep canon lore or just uh, e- EU lore. And it, they're just showing that they, they're knowledgeable on this material. They're having fun while they're doing it. They're open to other people's ideas. Jon Favreau was taking a, a direction point from one of his ADs on set. And uh, I forget what the AD was recommending, but some kind of sh- uh, blocking of the Mandalorian hiding behind like uh, a pillar to be blocked from the Dark Troopers. And John Favreau was on board with it. And that's also another thing that I don't see a lot on TV sets is uh, collaboration, not just between director and assistant directors, but also between other crew members that really would normally have no say in anything that happens. So it's really nice to to see that. But yeah, the whole atmosphere of this show, the whole environment, the relationships between cast, crew, everybody, they're having a great time. And it's so nice to see with a show like this. Another thing about this documentary that kind of took me by surprise was the fact that these people are creating new ideas. They're, they're expanding on current ideas and giving us new material while honoring old material, Easter eggs, homages, stuff like that. One example I want to bring up of something that I think they're doing very creatively is the Crate Dragon, which was one of my favorite parts of season two, which of course was in the opening. So, Seeing the Crate Dragon, of course, was an absolute thrill for me. It, it blew my mind. I thought we'd never, ever see that. And it was something that was from so small that was in the original A New Hope. Uh, you only see the skeleton rema- skeletal remains of the Crate Dragon. But anyway, what I'm getting to here is that for as much as people like me think we know about Star Wars, we really don't know anything compared to the people on set creating these things. I did an episode a couple weeks ago, about eight weeks ago, on that first episode of season two, and I expanded on all previous knowledge of the Crate Dragon. And it was one of something I've researched a lot in my past because I love I love that idea, but I also was making a short story myself about the Crate Dragon. Anyway... But listening to the creators talk about it and Doug Chang talk about it and they were mentioning about its evolution as a creature and the longer it lives, the more it adapts, the more legs it grows, the bigger it gets. And the version we saw in A New Hope was possibly just a younger version of that that had died off or got killed. And it's like, okay, we didn't know that by watching this. We didn't know what it looked like underneath. I mean, now we do after seeing the behind the scenes, but a lot of stuff they threw at us was stuff that has never been said or known before. And it, for someone like me who thinks he knew everything about the Crate dragon heard a bunch of new stuff. And it made me think, you know what? We, 
us as fans really don't know anything about anything in Star Wars compared to the people that are creating it. I mean, look at George Lucas. He, of course, knows everything that he created. He knows backstories, etc. We may think that we know everything about Star Wars, but really we don't. There's so much more that we don't know, and it's documentaries like this that give us to see uh, a little bit more behind the scenes. Before I go on to the next um, point here, I wanted to talk about the documentary was um, some of the live chat because Merck is really throwing a lot of stuff in here. He says, I want Cal to come to live action. Oh, Cal Kestis from the Jedi Fallen Order video game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, I think they picked that actor for that intention, possibly in the future, because he's a good actor and he did a great job in the in the game. And considering the time period that the game takes place in, he could come back as an older guy which um, I believe he's in his late 20s right now. So I would love to see that, of course. He also says, what is the best movie you have worked on? Mm. The best movie I have worked on. Uh, I think one of my better experiences has been on one that I'm actually not allowed to talk about yet because it is still in development. I will tell you it's an animated movie that is set to come out in 2022. We'll see. <laughs> it might not. I don't know. It's just in early stages of development, but that is one that I have enjoyed. I've mostly been on TV sets. I think my most favorite experience was on the, it was either for the set of, it was probably the set of Ballers. I was in the most recent season of Ballers, which of course I shot like two, two and a half years ago, but I was just a background actor and that was really fun because I got to be in a scene with Dwayne Johnson and I actually got to walk right next to him while, while he was moving around on, on camera. So that was really cool. And there's actually, if you want to see, it's the scene where they're in that guy's house. He plays Aldous Snow in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I can't remember the British guy. He, it, they're at his house and he's having like a party. And when Dwayne Johnson is talking to him, directly there's like this uh set of couches behind them and i'm on the couch so if you watch that scene you can see me in there and but yeah i was also on arrested development which was really cool and i had never seen the show before i was on it but i did once uh once um uh i was on that show and that was a great one to be on too um so yeah he says knights of the old republic exclamation point <laughs> yeah that's where the crate dragon is first introduced i think and a uh, great game and that one was different than the one that was in a new hope actually uh different different breed of uh crate dragon one's called a great crate uh, i forget what the other one is called but that's the difference between like the wormed one and like the uh, legged one uh we get to kill one oh you're talking about knights of the old republic yeah do a revan top 10 Ooh. Uh, I would love to do a Revan top 10 actually, because not a lot of people know about his history. And I think he's one of the more interesting characters from Knights of the Old Republic, but also from some of the expanded material as well. And Robin McFly says, hello. Hi, you're on your 10 Russell brand. Thank you. Russell brand. Wow. Can't believe I forgot his name. Um, Merck says you are one of the best star Wars YouTubers. Oh, I'm going to cry. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people watch live streams in the moment. That's okay. I'm just here to kind of get some stuff out about this show. If you're an audio listener, we you can join us on the live streams. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to do them every Sunday. If not every Sunday, I'm going to do it every uh, possibly Tuesday. I really haven't picked the date yet, but so far it's been every Sunday. And you can follow the schedule on YouTube or on the social media, which is right here, right there. So we got Patreon, Insta, Twitter, Spotify, Apple. Oh, I'm out of focus. Hold on. It'll, it'll, it'll focus itself in a second. Okay. Revan is my favorite one. I know Revan's your favorite. 
when I see you pop up, I jump in every time. That's that's great to hear. I, I thank you so much. There's there's a few of you that do that, and I, I love that about about you guys. Uh, also, recently, we just passed 612 subscribers on YouTube. I just got an email on Christmas Day actually that said, "Congratulations, your channel has hit 500 subscribers." I was really happy about it, and it happened a lot quicker than I ever expected it to, which was in the span of one month. It dropped up to 500 subscribers, which is awesome. I know it's nothing compared to some other YouTubers out there and big, bigger channels, but uh, to me, it's kind of cool and something I never thought would actually happen. And then the next day, it went up to 600 subs, and now it's, it's growing by the day. I love it. Please um, share this with your friends, and um, hopefully we can get some other people on this team, and we can start doing some events, some fan events. We can do trivia. We could do um, games. Other live streams, we can do giveaways. We can do so much stuff. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so let's get back to the, the gallery, the Disney gallery. So uh, one thing I want to talk about was Pedro Pascal. looks like he is way more involved in this season as far as being in the suit on set. And this just further debunks that stupid rumor that people were saying that he got upset and he like yelled and stormed off and because they wouldn't show his face. That's simply just not true. In the documentary alone, he looked like he was having the time of his life. And he loves being there. He says it all the time. And yeah, there's just no way he was upset. Look, I think that there may have been, yes, some kind of disagreement or discussion on set. Could have been about The Mandalorian. It could have been about something completely random. Who knows? I don't believe he stormed off or yelled or got crazy, but people have disagreements all the time. They have different opinions of creation, like creative control or ideas. So maybe there was some kind of disagreement, but I don't think it was to the caliber of him storming off set. I just find that completely unbelievable. And he himself debunked that on an interview about two, uh, one week ago. So yeah, don't believe everything you see online for people that just want to get clicks on their videos. <laughs> like me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, he's in the suit a lot more. And I really love to see that. And, you know, one of the reasons why he may have not been in the suit as much in season one is because, you know, he was also, he made th- uh, three movies last year that I know of. Uh, one of them was called, uh, I don't know, one of them was Wonder Woman 84, which he was the villain of. He, I thought he was great. Thought he was fantastic. He did another sci-fi one, and he did another one that was kind of an action. I cannot remember the name. I think they're both on Netflix, though. And Wonder Woman's on HBO. Uh, Wonder Woman was cool. It was really nice to watch a new movie again. I will say. But yeah, so I think that's why he wasn't in the costume as much in season one. It's just conflict of schedules. Robin says, "You can see how much Pedro loved being on set in actual footage. There might have been a small issue because, of course." There might be, but that was just clickbait for sure. Yeah, I can't remember the person who started it, but I do remember that uh, it was a YouTuber. I can't remember their name. But yes, that was just some some lady on YouTube that started that rumor. So I don't, it wasn't true. Um, he also did Sharkboy Lava Girl sequel, LOL. This is the year <laughs> Pedro Pascal. Uh, I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Um but yeah, I, I love seeing him in the show and he was having so much fun and I'm so jealous. You know, I wish I could be there too, but the, you know, hopefully one day I get to be on a Star Wars set, if not creatively, just, I don't know, just to stand by and watch. I think that'd be really cool. Um, practical elements. I wanted to talk about the practical elements of season two because I love the way they implement it into the show. Not only... Um, in ways that we notice, but also in ways that we don't. Something really interesting about this documentary was they were showing that a lot of ships were actual models built by people at Lucasfilm. And for example, Moff Gideon's Star Destroyer, that was a model that somebody made and then they 3D scan it digitally and then they put that into their volume screen or... um, on on camera that way instead of shooting it on on film 
as it is. So it gives them a little bit more freedom, freedom to move it around to their likeness. And I, I think that's a very interesting way of coordinate like collaborating between digital and uh practical and it's it's something that george lucas was doing you know mixing film elements with digital elements and that's one thing that i really loved and seeing the ships actually being made by hand is something that really makes it feel like star wars it it makes it look better you get texture more texture you get better lighting stuff like that but the way they're doing it by scanning it in a 360 degree way, almost like a 3D printer, but to make it a digital piece in the final cut is really cool. McFly says, I got to go back to work, but glad I could stop by. Have fun. May the force be with you. You are amazing. I hope you have a great day at work. And the force is with me because it is with you. So let's talk about that awesome picture that has been going around of George Lucas and Rosario Dawson. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, They're both happy, laughing, having a good time. And just knowing that George Lucas was on set that day that they were shooting the Ahsoka scenes just makes me really happy because George Lucas created that character. Yes, Dave Filoni helped and he co-created that character and has established that character and expanded on it in ways George never did. But George Lucas is the one who initially propped the idea of a female lead in the Clone Wars movie, the animated one, back in 2004, I think, 2004, 2005. And he wanted the idea of a a female lead that would be a young apprentice to Anakin Skywalker. So him and Dave Filoni together created Ahsoka Tano. And George was very involved with the Clone Wars series, which again, not a lot of people know about. He was he was he was the showrunner, of course. While he wasn't the director, he was the executive producer credited first. He's the one who came up with every idea for every episode. He was always the guy who signed off on every single one. And until season seven, of course, where Dave Filoni took over full creative control. But Ahsoka is while it is Dave Filoni's baby. It is also George's. I mean, everything involved in Star Wars is George Lucas's baby. And I just, I love that he visits the set. I think he appreciates the Mandalorian in ways that he hasn't yet felt about Disney Star Wars. I believe this show, The Mandalorian, is the direction George Lucas wanted to go with the company and with the brand. He was trying to. He was trying to make that series um, underworld uh, back in 2000 and all the way back to even 2005. Uh, he was, he was making announcements about it. He was talking to fans about it and that they had 55, I think 55 scripts made for that show. They were, they were building the tech to be able to do it. The only problem is they didn't have the platform to premiere it on. They didn't, he didn't want to put it on TV he wanted to have his own platform, his own distribution for it. And unfortunately, Fox at the time didn't have that capability. And one thing that's very interesting was he said, if only we had like a streaming service where people could watch it at home on their computers. Years later, of course, Netflix came to pass and started this whole streaming war. And it just, again, shows you that George Lucas is such an innovative guy, way ahead of his time, basically had the idea of streaming before streaming became a thing. So I mean, seeing him on set really makes me happy. He's, he loves it. He's having a good time too. And him and Ahsoka in live action together is something that just brings a smile to my face. Uh, another fantastic picture that has been floating around a lot is the one that is the thumbnail of this video, which is Robert Rodriguez with Baby Yoda. Uh, before his episode even premiered, it wasn't announced that he was making an episode, but it was rumored. And I was saying over and over how excited I was to see Robert Rodriguez direct a Star Wars show. And it was everything I hoped to be. It was really, really great. I loved hearing him talk about it. 
one thing that he said, of course, about this episode was when he got the script for doing Boba Fett, he wanted to treat it like Boba Fett was not going to ever come back with the possibility that this is the only and last time we'll ever get to see Boba Fett. So he wanted to put everything he had into this character and really show off who he is and also what makes him different than any other Mandalorian or bounty hunter in the galaxy and also on his own as a character. And I think he did that. He really made Boba Fett shine and he showed what he can do and what, what this guy can, can accomplish um, from such a little bit of attention from the um, original trilogy. So I thought his approach to Boba Fett was uh, some of the best from a directorial point of view. While he didn't write this episode, he did expand on it. Uh, He did say that when the script came to him, it was only 15 pages long. We know now that that episode is 41 minutes, I believe. I think it's 41. I could be wrong. It's around that time period. Uh, For those of you that don't know, a page of one page in a script is equal to one minute of screen time. Uh, Or at least that's how the businesses think of it as. So originally, this was supposed to be a 15 uh, episode piece and John Favreau was originally going to make it. He was originally going to direct this episode with Boba Fett. Uh, something came up. He, his scheduling conflicted. So he asked Robert Rodriguez on a, kind of a last minute thing, if he would come in and make this episode. And one of his goals was to extend it to make it a little bit longer. And I thought he did a great job. You know, he made a 15 minute script turn into a 40 minute episode. And he did that by bringing in his acting directing elements. And this episode had a lot of, um, action in it a lot of great action and that just goes to show the talent behind robert rodriguez he's fantastic you know everyone knows his stuff but i don't i think he's kind of infamous in that way alita battle angel is another great example spy kids the thing about spy kids is it 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 makes it poetic that he would return back to star wars because when he was making star or spy kids he was using technology that was given him by george lucas and he was mainly inspired to make the spy kids movies based off what George Lucas was doing with the original or the prequel trilogy by implementing new digital techniques to implement to film. And he was blown away by that. So he actually took some tech from George Lucas and some advice from George to make the Spy Kids movies. And from then, I mean, he makes his movies in his garage. That's how, <laughs> that's how into it he is, like involved in all the elements of it anyway, the different disciplines such as editing and photography and directing. So he's a fantastic director. I really hope he comes back. He is executive producing the um, one of the new shows. Gosh, which the Boba Fett show. He's executive producer on that. So we can expect to see him do some directing in that as well. You can count on it. Probably, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bet that he's going to do the pilot for the book of Boba Fett. And one last thing about Robert Rodriguez is I really love that bit that they showed of the his um, animatics of the little cut he made before actually going on set of what he envisioned this scene to be like the action scene with Boba Fett. And he used action figures with um, a home camera that he shot in his backyard with his two kids. I love that. And not only because John Favreau said that makes it the coolest fan film ever, but also because it was it showed how much he cares about this and how much he loves this, this world and this brand. And it was just a, a new way to implement animatics and previs, pre-visualization to a, a Star Wars a Mandalorian episode. On top of that, another thing about pre-visualization is it, is something that it never was for those of you that don't know pre-visualization or previs is basically storyboards or quick animated versions of what to expect on the day of shooting. So what you would see as an end result and what it originally started out was as storyboards, either hand-drawn or um, digitally made. And actually in the early, I'm sorry, in the late 19, um, 1990s, George Lucas innovated a brand new way of previs, which included animatics 
by using the digital technology he was making for the prequel trilogy. And he innovated it so much that it's now common practice to use uh, animatics as a, pre, as a form of previs. So what they do is they just make a digital creation of everything you're going to see in that episode, or in that case, a movie, and what it would look like as a final result in in a animated form. And so that's now what most companies use. Well, as before, they would just rely on concept art and storyboarding. Today, they use both, but most importantly is the previs because it gives the, the creator or the producer a better visualization or representation of what to expect as a final result of the product. So that's something not a lot of people know about George Lucas. Like, yes, he was inventing all this digital technology for cameras and green screen and animation, but at the same time, improving work or techniques for other artists to create things and make it more um, more accessible, more easy, and just to make the whole process of film and storytelling a lot better. I might do an episode on previs sometime in the future. Maybe not. Um, you guys let me know. And thank you guys so much for being here. If you were here with us live, it was... Um, I know some of you have to come in and out, but uh, it means a lot that you would show up and listen for just a little bit. I'm so sorry for the audio listeners. I have to take a drink here every once in a while of some coffee. So another thing about Boba Fett that I noticed in this documentary, you know, when he appeared, a lot of people were like kind of fat shaming him, not fat shaming, but just pointing out that he gained a little bit of weight <laughs> and, I did agree, but at the same time, Tamara Morrison, the actor playing Boba Fett, is not fat at all. In the behind the scenes, you can see that he's a very fit man, but he's also a very slim man. And the representation that we got on screen of Boba Fett made him look like he's a little bit bigger. But the thing is, they're, they're dressing him in these thick robes that are kind of layered on each other. And it makes it look like he is fat when actually he is not. <laughs> so it's interesting why they chose to do that because it makes the armor look smaller and it makes the character look more awkward. I too thought he was a little chubbier. Not to the point that it was a problem, but uh, I did think he was getting a little bigger with age. But no, he's in great shape. He looks fantastic, especially for his age. And in the documentary, he was also thrilled to be back as well. And I love that he was implementing some of his uh, Muay Thai or Mai, uh, whatever the um, the ritualistic or traditional dancing is of his his culture, Samoan, I believe, into the and like fighting techniques and how he implemented that into the movements of Boba Fett, not only when he's fighting, but also just how he presents himself in general. And I love that. I absolutely love that. That is what Star Wars is for me. Another thing out of many. Implementing different cultures into one universe. And they're all synchristic. And that's one thing about Star Wars that I think is being lost a little bit, especially with the most recent movies that have come out. We all know it's, you know, has elements of samurai and stuff like that, but Another thing too is like implementing like the Samoan things with Boba Fett and how he how he moves as a character and his action techniques. And uh, if anyone knows what that is called, I forgot. Please let me know. But it's um what Tamara Morrison was referring to as his um, traditional uh, dancing and chanting is. I, I it's I'm losing what that is, but that was another great thing about that character. One of the last things I'll talk about is the dark troopers and how they are practical. The practical effects of dark troopers in this was amazing. I already thought they looked fantastic, but seeing them in person in a way was incredible. And give me one second, guys. My camera is failing me. It keeps going in and out, so I apologize. Um, but yeah, uh, the dark troopers, they used actual practical suits for actors to wear and then they would digitally remove the actor from the suit, and they looked fantastic. It, the The aesthetic of them are beautiful, and it's very resemblant of the original Darth Vader outfit that we had in A New Hope. 
the one in a new hope, the more and more I watch that movie, the more I realize that that, uh, suit, that costume design was, it was so cheap. It was so cheap, but it was, it was so beautiful today. It looks like that exact one can be made replicated with a 3d printer, which is kind of funny, but it gives you a sense of the texture on it, you know? And I really felt texture when I was looking at the dark troopers and the way the light reflects and all that kind of stuff. And that's another great thing to use. Why another great reason to use practical stuff in any movie or television is because you get more of a realistic taste as to what that looks like, feels like, sounds like in in camera. Whereas a digital version of anything, there is something about it that is uncanny in our mind that we know it's fake. But with the Dark Troopers, man, they felt so real. And they were intimidating. I wouldn't want to be in a room with a Dark Trooper. Are you crazy? Uh, the last thing I'll talk about here, and then we're going to say bye-bye, is Bib Fortuna. That was some of the last editions of the Disney Gallery documentary here. And just some cool things about it. You know, the fact that Matt Wood played him. Matt Wood is the same guy who played Bib Fortuna in The Phantom Menace. That was awesome. He's also a member of the sound department. So he works with sound editing and mixing and all that kind of stuff. So he's been a part of Star Wars for a long time. All these guys, all the guys that work at Lucasfilm, some of them have been there since A New Hope. It's another thing I love about the Star Wars company, Lucasfilm. It's a big family and they love what they do. And they just put so much heart into everything. And it shows on camera and you got to respect that. I certainly do. Whilst not all ideas are the best, such as the prequels. Sorry, guys. I think having my, my glasses on affects the, the focus on the camera, so I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, another thing about it was that, you know, the staff that Bib Fortuna uses at the end is we've never seen it on screen before, but in the early action figures from Return of the Jedi, it the Bib Fortuna character came with a staff as an add-on for that action figure. And they brought that into this last uh, episode of The Mandalorian Season 2. Just a great addition. Just attention to detail. And like John Favreau says in the documentary, or Dave Filoni says in the documentary, they have to respect this world that was created, not only for the fans, but for all the people that have worked on it in the past whether they're directly involved or indirectly involved, such as the people of Hasbro who made those toys. I'm sorry, Kenner, who made those toys. They decided to give him a staff to add on with this character, and so they put it in the movie, which was fantastic as well. But that's it. That's it for the behind the scenes of The Mandalorian, this little Disney gallery. It, they did cover every episode briefly, but I do hope there are more episodes of this, this, this docuseries because I want more. It was very nice to have on Christmas, but I need more. I need more. You got to keep me hooked, Disney Plus. Come on. But I loved it. Uh, I really hope there's seven more episodes. I hope they're all an hour long. That'd be great. I want to hear more from Peyton Reed. I want to see Mark Hamill on set, which apparently he was. <laughs> apparently he was on set playing himself. So... That's interesting. I didn't think he would have been on camera, actually, but apparently he was. But I want to see more of that. I want to see more of Grogu. Uh, I want to hear more from Peyton Reed about his his, uh, direction and taking on this project, doing two episodes, one of which was very important. Peyton Reed is the uh, all-star of the season. Above Filoni, above Favreau, I think. Uh, Peyton Reed takes the cake. He, He delivered on that last finale. He changed the game, I think. He made Star Wars refreshing and emotional. And it, that was one of the greatest episodes of television I have ever seen. And some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen as well. I would rank that single episode 
of season two higher than some of the movies that I've seen. That's how much I enjoyed that episode. It was, it was raw. It was heartfelt. It was thrilling. It was everything I wanted. And I'm not just talking about seeing Luke Skywalker. It was, it was also about the way it was shot, the way it was directed, the blocking, the acting choices, the characters, the relationship, the, all that kind of stuff. It was incredible. And I hope Peyton Reed comes back. I hope he even gets into the movies. Maybe we get a Peyton Reed movie after all. I mean, who knows? It could happen. And the chat says, most of us cried. <laughs> yeah. And Mark says, come on, Ray is better than Luke. Ray is better than Luke? What are you talking about? Like in general? Or are you being, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but that's it for the Disney Gallery, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. For the audio listeners, please look out for um, this Wednesday, which another episode is coming out about the Star Wars author lawsuit and also some fun stuff. And we will do another live stream next week for everyone on YouTube. Please subscribe if you haven't liked the video. Uh, if you watch this the whole way through, let me know. And follow the um, social media account right here, Instagram and Twitter, at First, And you can uh, talk to me anytime. And... Um, yeah, that's it. If you are an audio listener and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, can you uh, please do me a favor and um, write a review, even if it's something really short, or just give me uh, some stars. Even if you want to write a bad review, it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, reviews do help um, the podcast a lot, and it means a lot to me as well, and I can know get some feedback from you all about what needs to be improved or what you like about it already. And of course, if you haven't already, please go check out some of the most recent videos I've done. I did a top 10 facts about Boba Fett, which I put a lot of work into, and I actually learned some stuff. And there's also some reaction videos, one of which is to the Vader Episode 2, The Amicith Blade by Star Wars Theory, which is pretty great. And many more to come. There's a new video coming out tomorrow, so stay tuned. And uh, now somehow, someway, somewhere this week, may the Force be with you. 